1: Welcome to Wilford Watches Podcast, an American podcast about pro wrestling. And before I introduce my killer guest, I have to thank my Patreons who are supporting me. It's a small group, but a strong group. Uh, So thanks Luke, JPQ, Courtney, Dimitri, Rick, Freddie, Juan, and Archie. Um, Thank you very much for helping out, guys. Today, my guest is killing it in Impact Wrestling, Capital Wrestling, and everywhere and anywhere he damn well pleases. Uh he is regularly main eventing Impact Wrestling which is now on Pursuit Channel and Twitch. Please welcome Killer Cross. Oh, hello. Hello, thank you, man. Um very glad to finally speak to you. Um you're kind of a uh kind of a late bloomer in the world of pro wrestling. Uh What what why are you so late to the party, man?
0: well uh to be completely honest with you i have always been very fortunate in terms of being very good at whatever i choose to do because i'm a very dedicated person so um whatever i'm doing usually generally as a rule i'm apply 100 of all of my energy into it to get the best results and i've just been financially stable and secure in other endeavors throughout my life but as I came to learn the hard way, uh, monetary stability is not always necessarily the most fulfilling thing. And it just got to a point where I really needed to pursue what was going to bring me fulfillment, which was my first and most original passion, which was professional wrestling. Since I was little, I've always wanted to do it. And I just decided, well, I've got all this, all this other stuff set up occupationally in my life. I might as well get this a shot. And the first month I started training. I was on the shows.
1: That's incredible, dude. Um, so we were talking about this, me and my friend Josh um on his show and he <clears throat> we were talking about how like we came up into watching wrestling and how WWF is usually WWE the one that brings people into our niche of pro wrestling as a fan or a future wrestler. Um was it the color and and the bright music and the bright colors and the and the flashy music that brought you in or was it more of a like a sporty background, like a more of a combat background background that uh, kind of brought you into pro wrestling.
0: Honestly, it was the ultimate warrior. I mean, like that was it. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was both all encompassing. His energy was completely magnetic. And um, my very first memory that I could ever even recall. My earliest memory was watching ultimate warrior on TV. And like, like, a, like a, I don't know, like a 20 by 20 inch television. Like I just, that was what, that's the first thing I remember. That was pre-programmed <laughs> since I was little to, to be in love with pro wrestling. I've, there's never been a time in my life where I haven't watched it.
1: There's something really uh, just, man, spellbinding when you see Warrior as a kid or as a youth, man, it's just, he was the only one who like ran full speed. He had the music, you know, it just, yeah, I, I I don't blame you, man. He was, uh, I mean, him, Hogan, Macho Man, Bret Hart. You know, some of these guys were just like huge influences for so many people at that time, man.
0: Absolutely. Um, even too like, you know, a lot of my uh, pro wrestling brethren, they they always feel like that's a very political question. Like a lot of people, you know, I'm not gonna expose them. But, I mean, a lot of people are afraid to say who their favorites were. They think that this is like, you know, they need to say somebody like. Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or Ric Flair, you know, and and they may have been, you know what I mean? Legitimately, those may have been their favorites, but everyone always feels really compelled to talk about a technician or someone who had really good ring psychology. Like, I'm just completely flat-out honest. Like, Ultimate Warrior, as a child, completely captured my imagination. And, you know, I... No embarrassment or any sort of humiliation, even admitting that it wasn't all these other people, it was him. And you know something, that guy was a, a multi-million dollar investment and did everything the complete opposite way everyone told him to and it worked out, And I think. Just as a human being, he's a really good rule of thumb to see what happens when you follow your intuition. When everyone tells you you're totally insane... You know, you perhaps you are, but <laughs> would you rather be insane and be a millionaire and enjoy what you're doing, or would you you know, rather be trapped in the rat race or somebody else's creative parameters and kind of living aimlessly or through, you know, the hands of someone else?
1: You know, some some of the best wrestlers that have broken through and been been pillars in the sport, especially here in the United States, have been the people who are themselves but just oh turned God. up to like three thousand, you know? And yep. and Warrior was definitely hardcore athlete, very focused. And yeah, I don't care about politics. Hogan was everybody's icon when you were a kid. So that's how it is. Uh, yep. And so anyways, how did you get into more of like a pancrase kind of style, like a more um when did you get exposed to like Japanese wrestling <laughs> and and British wrestling and when did you get deeper into the genre of pro wrestling?
0: Um well, I grew up in a family that, you know, like, I mean, we're generations deep in combat sports. Like my father boxed and wrestled. My grandfather boxed in the armed service for the United States. Um, Like we just, we grew up wrestling and boxing and um, playing combat sports. Like on my father's side, there was six boys and one girl. Like it was a massive family Mm -hmm. and all of them, including the girl, they were all growing up doing martial arts and combat sports. So I grew up with that, but I, you know, really didn't discover what you're talking about uh, within the pro wrestling genre until my Mm -hmm. early twenties. I was living in Toronto at the time. I got some cable package and fight network was attached to it and fight network was airing UWFI and Pancrase. And (laughs) I would just leave that channel on all day. I loved it. I loved every single program on that channel. And then one day that came on and I was cooking and, you know, I'm hearing whack, whack, whack. And you hear the Japanese crowd. Oh, so I go around and I look at the TV and I remember it was Kakihara. He was beating the snot out of somebody. I mean, he was like, he was hitting like four piece combinations and then like capping them off with head kicks in like three seconds, like shots. Mm. Guys don't even know they're getting hit with. And for a moment, all over again, I was like, I didn't know if this was real. So I just sat down and I was so fascinated by it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a shoot work. I was like, man, I really like this. I was like, I wasn't even bothered that it was a work. I was like, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's a performance art. Um, just like pro wrestling. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you can't work in pro wrestling. Um, you know, they're 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 going to hurt and they're going to be uncomfortable. And it's just part of the pride and the passion and know that you have for your work and that you have for the paying fan and I was just so allured by it I was like Mm -hmm. my god and it I was always a fan of pro wrestling but when I saw UWF in my early 20s on Fight Network I was like (laughs) man if there's ever a place to do this I'm gonna do it and I actually did my first year I um, reached out to Antonio Inoki and I think seven months of my training I was doing shoot work in Japan Mm -hmm. uh, for Inoki Genome Federation a lot of people don't know about that but yeah (laughs) I was overseas with Jinder Mahal, Mike Knox, and Mason Ryan. So, uh, little, a uh, little bit of info that a lot yeah. of people know about.
1: That's um, that's wild, man. And um, I'm just thinking about you fighting like that. It's just, um, you know, I remember we, we all get captured by wrestling, in, in one way or another, whether it's the bright colors as a kid, or the music, or the combat. You know, we all get in somehow and hearing different people's perspectives and hearing yours is just just wild um so another influence i think that you might have is uh, brian pillman um, huge and his son is actually really doing very well right now coming up through mlw and and you uh, mlw and impact just announced you guys are going to do uh, some stuff uh, during april which is very cool um, yep. Do you ever have any interest in either, you know, tagging with him or having a really good, like, blood feud with uh, Pillman Jr.?
0: You know, I actually reached out to Brian maybe two years ago because um, I saw an article on my news feed of him saying that he had an interest in getting involved with pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, you know, like, I was, I'm was i a diehard fan of Brian Pillman, but, like, not to the level where I knew, like, how many kids he had or, like, Sure. Was married. I didn't know anything about the personal Brian Pillman. I just knew like the documentary stuff of him, right, and like his working history. So when I found out he had a son and the son was saying he's interested, I reached out to his son on social media. I said, "Hey, dude." And I said, "I've never, I never met your dad, but your dad was a huge inspiration to me." And I said, "If there's anything that you think that I could ever assist you with, whatever it is, please reach out to me because I owe your dad a lot, never even meeting him. And if there's anything that I could ever personally do for you, like I don't want anything out of it." Mm -hmm. Just let me know. And I said, you're probably going to have the whole world at your disposal, you know, all these people to help him who knew his dad. I was like, I just wanted him to know just as a fucking stranger, pardon my French, but just as a stranger, I just wanted him to know that, you know, there's, there's a random guy out there that will (laughs) do something for him if he needs it. And I've just very leisurely always been in contact with Brian since. And, um, we were actually almost tagged last year in uh, Los Angeles. But it it didn't uh, come to fruition. We are going to do a tag team, me and him, in Vegas and Los Angeles. So I definitely would be interested in working with him in the future. And I've actually been speaking to a couple people who work for MLW. Not in the office, but I am interested in doing something with them. But they better hurry (laughs) up.
1: Yeah, that would be a pretty uh, killer tag team to see, man. To see uh, how you're inspired and how you're very homicidal. And to see the the, the Loose Cannons kid, um, that would be pretty wicked as a fan. Um, so what is it like being on a lot of different programs all at one time? Is that kind of weird for you um, at this point in your career? It's like, whoa, I'm on this TV, I'm on this channel, I'm in this program. Um, you're on Impact, Lucha Underground in the past, AAA um capital i mean how is that like for you just like reflecting back like holy crap i wanted to be a wrestler but i had no idea i'd be on like four different programs
0: i love it because on all four programs it's four different working styles and there's a variation and a different range that i can play in terms of character presentation and different people to work with so it's making me all around a lot better um it's really improved my timing and it's improved my imagination and my creativity to get to certain things. Um, and it allows me to experiment with a lot of other different types of, uh, just placements and spots and stuff like that. It's, it, it's improved my confidence, uh, especially working in places where, you know, like we don't have the ability to communicate. You have to learn to speak the language in the wrangler. My Spanish is, uh, not as good as I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, I can I can go in there and work with people and not be able to speak a, a little of anything. I can just read body language and get to stuff. And uh, I found, you know, having a shoot background, that really helps too. So you just – if you want to put somebody somewhere, you'll take them. And they're going whether they want it or not. So, so um,
1: do you think you find it harder to um... – like when you're in the ring, actually in the ring, listening to the crowd and, you know, also competing. Do you think that it's harder from your vantage point to get over a Mexican crowd that doesn't speak the same language as you or, uh, like a super smart crowd who thinks they know everything in the United States?
0: Uh, I don't mean this egocentrically whatsoever. I don't ever have a problem dealing with crowds and getting over. And the reason being is because, as you said, I'm a late bloomer, right? I, like the fan in me and a lot of people advise me not to say this, but the fan in me is still alive. And I think that a lot of people have spent too much time in the business and they isolate themselves way too much as a quote unquote professional versus a fan. Cause that was one. They forget about what fans want to see. Like I know the difference between the guy you're talking to now and killer cross killer cross is something totally different. And people are paying to see killer cross, not the guy that you're talking to now. I know what they want to see out of him because I know what I would want to see out of something like that, out of that character presentation. They want to see a larger-than-life character is going to do something out of control, and they want to see people get beat up really bad. They want to believe. Mm -hmm. So if I can always remember that context and put things together and get things organically with that in mind, it's never a problem. And uh, I never, even even the first time I went to Mexico, Mm -hmm. Vampiro met me at the curtain, and he goes, I've never seen a foreigner ever show up and get over like that. On their first wow. time, he goes, Welcome aboard. And every single person in AAA came over and shook my hand. Wow. So great. I just I love this. So mm-hmm. because I love it, it's relatively easier for me, if that makes sense. Like anything and like if like if you love painting, you know, when somebody puts something in front of you and they say paint this, it's not a problem. But you know, if you only like painting watercolors and somebody puts an oil paint next to you and tells you to paint something you don't really want to paint, you know, it, it might not come out the way you really wanted to, you know, in the final product, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. It does make sense that you know, in order to understand what the fans like and and the people who are paying to see you like, then it, it helps to be a fan and not lose touch of that. Because uh, once you lose touch of of being a fan, then y- you know, you you don't know what you're looking at when when people are shouting at you. You don't really know what, what they're doing. Um, Precisely. So another major influence of your character, Killer Cross, which I'm terrified. I'm I'm thankful. Thank you for not having Killer Cross in this chat or else I would have to bring a knife or something. I don't even think just that don't play happen. the
0: music. Just do not play the music. Uh,
1: no music being played here uh, post-production. <laughs> later. Um, so another major influence would be Natural Born Killers. Obviously, yes. that was the first thing I thought of when I saw your character um, for the first time about a year ago or so. Um very homicidal uh very woody harrelson it was a fantastic freaking movie um tell us about how 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 you thought it would be received and how it actually has turned out i mean has it has it your perception of the character actually turned out to be
0: as good as you hoped or better or or what it's um this is always tricky to answer mm-hmm. but um you know i have gotten most of the character inspiration from the crowd and listening to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, when I had very little exposure, all of the feedback I was getting from when I was in the ring and then after the show came from social media. Like I never came up with a toll man, that wasn't mine. Um, I had cut a promo basically saying um, all these. Overgrown children masquerading around as adults, walking around here playing the role. Well, when I come around, you're gonna have to pay the toll. You know, and I literally just rolled off my my mouth like it, it didn't mean to rhyme or be catchy or anything. And people would just say, "Oh, the toll man!" And everyone's trying to call me the toll man online. I was like, "Well." they're paying to see this guy and they're giving me something right now. Like I always thought it was kind of lame to come up with your own nickname, like just in general, in real life, like, yeah, call me Rocky. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like what the hell is that all about? So I was like, they're, they're calling me the Tall man. I mean, it doesn't matter what it means to me. It means something to them and whether it's endearing or it's, you know, it was meant to be a rib. I don't know. But like I ran with it and they liked it and killer cross came from, uh, one time, you know, when the match it was perceived that I was trying to kill Shane Douglas, I took my wrist tape off and I, and I wrapped it around his throat and I grapevined him and, uh, and strangled him out with the tape. And uh, people thought it looked like the scene from No Country uh, for Old Men with heavier Bardem when he's in the handcuffs and he wraps the handcuffs around the cop's throat. They were taking pictures of it and, you know, tagging No Country for Old Men, Killer Cross. <laughs> like, so when you ask me mm. about my idea of it, I mean, of course, I'm a Natural born Killers fan, Woody Harrelson. The the glasses are obviously a nod to him and Pillman. Um, I mean, my vision has been, I mean, Killer Cross is 30% me and 70% fans in the weirdest way. Like, they've really cultivated who this guy or entity, if you want to even refer to him as that. What he really became over the last four or five years has been from fan feedback. Like, I show up and I show them something, and then based on how they are receiving it, and sometimes it's right on the mark from how I was planning to execute it. I just carry it with me. I carry the things people give to me, and I think that's why I've been able to have such a strong residual fan base because they feel connected. Because they are like it's 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 a shoot. It's uh
1: it's fascinating because we don't typically talk about it in our society, but we have this really sick fascination with morbidity, and it's something mm-hmm. that we we do as humans, but we don't typically talk about and and people probably i would say that see that in you and they want to hear you talk crazy and do crazy stuff because it's the same as like slowing down for a car accident you know people don't subjectively stop to do that but they just slow down subconsciously and say oh well you know let's just see and that's that morbid fantasy that that people have that we don't talk about as humans um we are vicious characters and we get to see it play out on on screen through you so that's um you're killing it. So, anyways, um, you said about social media. You interact with fans like nobody's business. Um, I actually met uh, Courtney at a Ring of Honor show this weekend. Uh, she's probably one of the biggest fans ever. Um, do you? What do you think about that? Like, you've been getting such amazing reception online, social media, and such a huge fan base. Like. Uh, I don't know, like through Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, it, it's it's fascinating because that wasn't there in the '90s. Um, I, I just want your perception of uh, you know social media and how it's helping you.
0: Well, when I got into this, I had no idea how to get on television. I just figured I'd go to school to learn how to do this. And then I would go to a WWE tryout and get hired. Like I had no idea the whole process of uh, what was even, you know, what entailed of the educational learning this. I just didn't get it. So I didn't really have anyone thoroughly explain to me how it was going to work. Everyone just told me, they were like, oh, you're made for this. You're going to get hired immediately. So I went in with very high confidence. And um, I learned very quickly that it was not that simple. <laughs> And there was a pecking order and there was politics and you know certain people just can't get hired without being endorsed by other people who are there and all this stuff. And I just sat back and I was like, OK, so this is how this works on the independence. No one knows you exist except for local community. And on television, you have world distribution. So I was like, well, I don't want to wrestle like these people on the independence. And I didn't mean that in a derogatory way. I just meant my aim is for television. Mm-hmm. That's my aim. That's that is the kind of presentation I want to have. So what do I got to do? So I was always doing functional weightlifting, uh, which doesn't really have anything to do with aesthetics. You can get real strong, but you might not look like an athlete. So I learned how to diet properly, and then I learned how to lift weights to change body composition. And then I I looked at the business structure of television wrestling, commercial wrestling, if you want to call it that. You know, what is it about what they do? versus what the independents do in terms of presentation. Well, obviously it has something to do with the business, and the budget. Budget was a big thing, high budget versus low budget. And then, you know, I, I started looking at um, what sort of footage I could retrieve from the independents of my matches. And I saw, well, you know, I obviously got to learn how to do these promos. I got to get comfortable. So I did that. And suddenly I had match content and suddenly I had promo content. And I thought to myself, how can I take what I'm doing on an independent level and make it look commercially good? So then I taught myself how to use video editors, and I just kept teaching myself and learning because I was like, no one's going to hold my hand through this, and if I want this, no one's just going to show up and go, hey, here it is. Like, I'm going to have to learn how to do this, and I was just very self-taught uh, through the whole experience of it, and I took what content I could create on my own, and I tried to put my own creative post-production grind to it, um, and that's basically what you saw like that was uh, and i and i blasted it on social media to tie it back to your question social media basically got me on television <laughs> and that's that's how i use social media i took i took myself mm-hmm. uh, on an independent level and took all the content and i chopped it up and put it out there and i don't even think i'd have a job on i don't even have a job on tv if social media didn't exist i really believe that because i created my own presentation of how i wanted people to perceive this guy with social media
1: isn't that crazy? Like, I I wonder how you would have fit into the '90s. I wonder how you would have been more of like I don't know, just thinking off the cuff here, like a more of a viral marketing kind of guy. You would have had like a commercial ad spot or something. Like, I, I wonder. <laughs> I think ECW actually would have been great for you because you could.
0: You know, Tommy said that to me, and I, Tommy, Tommy Dreamer, yeah. Chava Guerrero, Paul London, and Chris Masters all paid me probably the highest compliment that I've ever gotten and it was uh, you know in their own way they said that you know like you would have been one of us like you would have fit in this guy would have liked you that guy would have liked you and like to get a compliment like that it's God, that's incredible yeah it's uh, I didn't even know words elude me how, how to express how meaningful that is to hear something like that people you look up to that you grew up watching to say that they kind of alluded to the same thing they were like if you were around during this time you wouldn't been able to swim no problem
1: yeah because ecw man i mean i i was about i want to say like 13 i, I don't. L- nobody listening to this gives a crap but i was i was a big ecw fan as a teenager and and that was the time where i was like oh girls violence you know and i think your your character really really would have fit into that mold really well as a fan from my side of the screen so yeah crazy thoughts man um so thinking talking about fantasy draft and speculation and and all that crap we'd love to do fantasy drafts and speculate who goes where and all that stuff um if new japan came with an open checkbook to you uh would you go and uh who would you want to take on first
0: open checkbook uh yes i would go (laughs) (laughs) i would uh i think first match i mean first thing to do would be To go after Tanahashi, I think that's the the most sensible thing to do. Um, The Gaijin versus the Japanese has always been known to draw very well. Uh, Obviously, everyone wants to wear Kenny Omega. Um, That would be be on the bucket list as well. Me personally, I think my best match that I could probably ever have in New Japan is going to be against Kota Ibushi, (laughs) I think. Um, A lot of people, for real, cannot handle the way I kick. So I'm not going to pull the kicks. I'm just not going to do them if they, if I know that they can't deal with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I am 100% certain based on the way Kota wrestles that he would be able to deal with them. And you guys will see, I'll be, I'll be throwing them on TV very soon with a few people. You'll see what I'm talking about. They're in, they get laid in. So just knowing we can get into a kick off him and I would be something worth the uh, price of admission.
1: And, And we're talking on the 30th of January right now. And there's a, there's a master of the kick, um, Kenta. Yes. Looks like looks like he's going to be heading out pretty soon. Um, you think you could uh, jump over to Noah if he goes back to Noah and do a little match with him? Because that would be amazing.
0: I expressed to Scott Moore and to um, Don Callis mm-hmm. for the last six months that I would like to be sent to Noah. So really? hopefully that happens. Yes. I want to go right now. If, if there was a plane leaving in two hours, I would grab a sweater. <laughs> I would leave with the clothes that I have on me and, and leave with absolutely nothing and, and buy everything I need when I get there.
1: Really? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to tell my friend Hisame, which you probably see online plenty. She's like the uh, you know unofficial English source. Um, yeah, she she gets me into Noah. man. I've been watching for the last about six months regularly. And, uh, that's a fit where I, I you know, people talk about you in the bullet club, you and this, whatever you and that, but I think Noah personally, and I'm really psyched. I'm, I'm popping over here to hear you say that. Um, cause that would be, uh, an amazing fit as a fan to see you over there. Um, so let's switch it up a little bit as a kid. What was one of your favorite cartoons?
0: Well, uh, Batman, the animated series, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say X-Men, when that was on, Spider-Man. It was like the whole Saturday lineup on Fox. Uh, cops, uh, the cartoon show that used to come on at 7 a.m. I don't remember what channel it came on, but it was like the Blade Runner police. It was like all the cops <laughs> okay. and detectives that had like robotic arms, and all the, all the criminals were all cybernetically enhanced. It was like a Blade Runner cartoon, basically. It was awesome. If no one had ever heard of that, YouTube cops the cartoon show. It's just okay. totally insane. It's the most insane cartoon show I've ever seen in my life.
1: <laughs> That's saying something. Um so you're you're in Mexico a lot. You're in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, uh, you know, you're all over the kind of southwest uh um you're all over the world really. Um but what is your go to food spot when you hit up Mexico? Do you have a restaurant or a taco joint or anywhere? That you just have to go to every time that you could recommend to us. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about the states? No. Is there like a, a guilty pleasure you go to, like uh, Carl's Jr. or some some something like that? Like, is well, there a guilty pleasure place you go to?
0: When I'm in Mexico, I always try to find carne asada, which is like a soft yeah, steak. Yeah,
1: I'm in San Antonio. I know exactly what that is.
0: Okay, I'm living and breathing <laughs> off of eggs and carne asada. <laughs> okay, my diet is super basic um a guilty pleasure place that i go to just in general no matter where i am i mean if you put some coffee ice cream in front of me or i happen to find that rocky for uh was it ben and jerry's super fudge chunk i mean the game is over like that's it <laughs> there's no coming back if that's near me in in a radius and i don't have to wrestle immediately that is being devoured at light speed
1: so so lifetime supply of that chocolate or a ticket to Noah? Which one? Oh, my God. I mean. <laughs> you walked into it, man. You walked into it. What can I
0: say? This, this, this is hell. This is hell. Like, we just, we just, we this is the, what, Hellraiser 55, and I just <laughs> opened the box, and Pinhead has come out, and he just posed that question, just asked me, you played with the box, you opened it, now we're here. Like, that's what's going on right now. So, I mean, I'm going to go to Noah. I'm gonna okay. go Noah because okay. my 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 life would be shortly lived with that much ice cream. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, I want to thank you, man. Um, wh- what do we have coming up for Killer Cross in 2019? What are we looking forward to? Um, uh, should I just go hide under my bed now
0: or what? Like I'm. Uh, well, uh, what do we have? I mean, possible jail time, uh, <laughs> mental, mental mental institution, uh, light homicide. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what we're looking at, in my opinion, is probably a debut in the UK this year. Um, working with a very relevant Japanese company, and <laughs> more television time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very well. We'll leave it with there, um, guys. Please uh, check out Killercross.com. Follow him at Real Killercross on Twitter. Um, for amazing content so you know what's going on. He's, uh, you have a pro wrestling t store, um, as well, right?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, all of my links for all social media, um, and free media. I have a YouTube channel that has documented basically my entire career for the last four and a half years. It's all free, except for the merch. Um, but all the links are going to be on KillerCross.com. The Pro Wrestling Tees link is there, and there's also an official Impact Wrestling Tees as well. But every single design that goes up on Pro Wrestling Tees is either for me or my buddy Finny, and uh, we both collaborate them together. Uh, please take a look and enjoy.
1: And uh, please check out Impact. Uh, You've got a big tag team match coming up, I think, uh, with you and uh, Moose. Taking a look at Cage and Morrison this week on Impact on Pursuit and Twitch. So uh, please check out uh, Impact on Pursuit and Twitch. And thank you from the bottom of my heart, Killer Cross.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.